Let's do our declaration together, if you would, with me. As they put it up there, we'll wait on it to get there. Are you ready? Lord, today by faith, we declare that we're walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and our fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. We declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Now giving praise for the declaration. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. You may be seated. This morning I just got two verses of scripture for my text. I would like for you to turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 24, verse 46 and verse 47, if you didn't bring your Bible. I, I, I get tickled a lot of times. We get, uh, there was an older lady in one of our churches and she went to her pastor and she said, you've got to stop all of these people from being on their phones during church services. And she was just ragging the pastor out about it. And he said, hold on, sister. And she's up in her 90s and, and said, you don't understand. Uh, they ought to be getting in their Bibles and, and they're talking on their phones. But what they were actually doing was pulling their Bibles up on their phones. And sometimes when I look out here, I see people now, instead of carrying a big Bible, they whip out their phones and they turn to any kind of uh, a King James Version or any version that they want and they follow along of the reading of the scripture on their telephones. That's kind of a neat thing to do, isn't it? Amen. But if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 2, let me say it again. If you have your Bibles or your phones, amen, Luke chapter 24, verse 46 and 47. Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Now, I ain't going to preach on that one part there, beginning at Jerusalem. It's got to start at home before it goes anywhere else. If you don't have it at home, you might as well quit not trying to take it to somebody else. Amen? Brother Bob Fisher, you're our elder. Would you stand and ask the Lord's blessing on the word this morning? Amen. You know, the next few Sundays, uh, during the month of, um, actually during the whole month of September, you're going to be hearing a lot about evangelism and soul winning because that's what we're putting our emphasis on during this month. The Holy Spirit just really wants to speak to the palace of praise about winning souls and about evangelism. I'm a little bit excited about that because I really believe that we're going to begin to see an increase as this body begins to get engaged about the true mission of what the church is all about. When we get engaged in the Great Commission, we're going to see souls saved and we're going to see families saved and we're going to see church growth like we've never seen it before. How many believe that? Can you just applaud the Lord in advance for what he's about to do? When God begins to put something on the heart of a shepherd and the heart of a leader, he's got, he's got a reason behind it and he wants to do something about it. So when we're talking about evangelism, that is saying that God is really the aggressor and he is the one that is out to target your families that is lost. So those of you that have children and grandchildren and neighbors and friends that you've been praying over, that you've been warned over, I want to tell you, God's got them in his mind. God sees them, and now God's about to turn the table, and God is on the pursuit for those people today. I am so thankful for that because I know that sometimes we get weary in well-doing, but if we will not get weary in well-doing, we will reap if we faint not. Can I have an amen? But if there's one thing that I know, and that is that if we are truly Jesus' disciples and we are supposed to be as his children, then we will be interested in what he is interested in. A true disciple will have the heart of his mentor and the heart of his leader. And let me say this, we as Christians, as believers, should have the very heart of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our sole purpose in existence should be on the heartbeat of God. And let me tell you, this will determine a lot about who we are. It will reveal our true selves. We're gonna find out today whether 
or not that we are truly his disciples or are we just religious? Because what we are doing is gonna be a reflection of actually who we are. Can I have an amen? What was Jesus' heart on? What was his desire? What was his mind on? In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, I quote the scripture quite a bit because I love it. It says, the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Aren't you glad that Jesus' mind was upon the lost? He came and sought out the lost. He sought you out. You didn't seek him out, he sought you out. Jesus left the splendor of heaven, the glory of heaven. He left uh, being with the Father throughout eternity to come down upon earth and be robed in human flesh and go through the suffering of the cross so that you and I could be saved. Folks, Jesus sought you out. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. That was what his heart was. That was his heartbeat. That was his mission. That was his desire only was to see a world saved. As a matter of fact, we talk about the golden text of the Bible uh, and we quote it and we teach it to our children, but really we don't preach on it that much. But the golden text of the Bible, and when we say the golden text of the Bible, we are saying the most important text because it reveals the very mission and heartbeat of God. It is the central focal point of what God is all about. And the Bible tells us in John 3, 16 and 17, for God so loved, what? The world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You know, I like Luke 9 and 56, where Jesus said, I came not to destroy men's lives, but I came to save them. I like John 10 and 10. The thief, he cometh but to kill, to steal, and destroy. But I have come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. You know, I like Acts 12 and 47 where Jesus said, if any man hear my words and believe not, I don't come to judge him. I judge not because I've not come to judge the world, but I've come to save the world. I like what the apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15 when he said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all exception that Jesus Christ came into the world to save save sinners in which I am chief. Paul said, I'm the chiefest of sinners and Jesus came into the world for the sole purpose of saving sinners. And let me say that again. The whole reason for Jesus coming to the earth was to do nothing. It wasn't to establish a church necessarily, even though that's an important thing. It wasn't all the different cliches that we can come up with. His main reason and focal point of coming to the earth was to save sinners like you and I. His mind is on all to be saved and not some to be saved. I like Romans 5 and 8 that God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. 1 Timothy 2 and 4 tells us that God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. That's his desire is for all men, regardless of race, creed, or color, regardless of financial status, regardless of what kind of background that men and women may have. God wants all men to be saved. How many believe that here this morning? That's why that 2 Peter 3.19 said that God is not slack concerning his promises as some men count slackening, but God is long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come under repentance. Romans 10, 13, isn't it a wonderful scripture? One of the most powerful scriptures in all of, this, all of the word of God. Whosoever, that means you and I, isn't that a wonderful word? Whosoever, no one is excluded, no one is left out, hallelujah. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I like Acts 2.21. You know what it says? After this, it shall come the past saying that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever. I like Tudus, Titus, Tudus, Titus chapter 2 verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation, guess what? It has appeared unto all men, not some men, but all men. Any man that wants to be saved can be saved. Romans chapter 10 verse 12 tells us, for there's no difference between the Greek and the Jew, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all who call upon his name. I like what Romans 8 and 32 says, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Hallelujah. We could go on and on and on about the scriptures, but you can 
cannot deny that Jesus came to save the sinner, nor can you ignore the fact that salvation is for all. If you think that salvation is for all, would you give him an applause? Because that's you he's talking about. Amen? Hallelujah. It's for those in Poplar Bluff. It's those from Fisk. It's those from Cuba. It's even from those of us from Dudley. Hallelujah. They always say nothing good come from Dudley. Well, it may not come good from Dudley, but when God gets done with you, you're saved by grace. Hallelujah. I love the fact whether you're in Africa or whether you're born in Brazil or whether you're born in Russia, it doesn't matter who you are. God so loved the world that he's provided salvation for all fallen humanity and anybody that wants to be saved can be saved through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, he's Messiah. He's giving him another hand. That ought to be exciting us here today. Amen. You know, we always quote Isaiah 53, verse four and five and how powerful it is, but sometimes we don't pay attention to verse six. Verse four says, surely he borne our griefs, he carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Verse five begins to talk about how he was wounded for our transgressions, he's bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him and through his stripes were healed. But listen at verse six. Verse six says, all of us are like sheep that's gone astray. All of us. All of us were in need of a savior. God looked down upon the children of men to see if any understood and if any sought God. He said, no, there's not one. No, there's not one that is doing right. They have all are filthy and they have all have forsaken. The Bible tells us that all of us are like sheep that have gone astray and we have turned everyone to our own way. We do our own thing. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He died for us all. Matter of fact, Jesus became the sin bearer of the world. He, he took the sins of the whole world upon his shoulders and he paid the price for all of fallen humanity. And those of us that are saved here today, it's because of the work of Jesus Christ and what he done upon the cross, amen? Paul Kahn, who's the president of Lee University in our denomination, he told an interesting story one time when he lived in Atlanta, Georgia. I just read it out of a book here that Raymond Culpepper had published some time ago. But here is, uh, here is Paul Kahn. He's the president of uh, Lee University. He's in Atlanta, Georgia at the time. Him and his wife are, I guess, supposedly looking for a restaurant. And he turns to the yellow pages and he looks at the listings there and he comes across an interesting listing. It said, Church of God Grill. Now, him being Church of God, he saw this advertisement, and he was overwhelmed by curiosity. He wondered, what in the world is that all about? So he called the number and inquired about this unusual name, the Church of God Grill. What was it? What did it mean? Is it really a restaurant? What is it? Is it a church? What is it all about? So the man that answered the phone said, well, we had a mission down here and we started selling chicken dinners after the church service on Sunday to try to help pay the bills. He wanted to say, well, the people like the chicken so much and we did such a good business that eventually we began to cut back on the church services a little bit. And after a while, we just closed the church down altogether and just kept on serving chicken. And we kept the name that we started with because it seemed to be so successful. And that name that we started with was just Church of God Grill. He said, that's how we came into existence and that's how we came into business. And so that restaurant is known, I guess even to this day, as the Church of God Grill in Atlanta, Georgia. I got to thinking about that story and I called old Brian Matthews up, one of my friends, and we were talking. I said, I read an interesting story and I said, it's really bothered me and it's intrigued me and I told him this story and this was his comment. I'll never forget what Brian said. He said, if we got rid of everything in the church that wasn't sanctioned by God, we would be doing very little, little we would be doing a lot less stuff. And I kind of believe that. There's a lot of things that we do as Christian believers that's really not sanctioned by God. They're prophets. We think we gotta do it in order to sustain. How true it is sometimes that we major in the minors and we minor in the majors. A lot of things that we do that consumes our time, our energy, and controls our passions is not even sanctioned by God at all, even though we think it is. Just because it's churchy, just because it's religious in nature, just because it may even be our passion, just because it's things that we like to do does not necessarily mean that it's sanctioned and it's spiritual by God. We as humans are so prone to focus on the fleshly as our means of support and strength while we put very little emphasis on the spiritual and we look at them as if they needed to be propped up by the works of flesh because they're not able to stand on themselves. 
In other words, if we as a church just said, we're not gonna do anything for a solid six months, but come in here and have a time of prayer, and then we're gonna launch out and try to win souls, and that's how we're gonna sustain ourselves. Very few of, of us in this modern day culture would think that we could sustain ourselves on those spiritual principles. We would think we'd have to do this, we have to do that, we have to do this, we have to do that, we gotta involve this, we gotta involve that. And even though the things that we do are important and necessary at times, yet let me tell you something, folks, we cannot replace the great commandment of God and the heartbeat of God to chase the things that's frivolous. The things that are frivolous are art to be able to, to support what we're doing, but not take the place of it. Can I have an amen? I hope you understood that. We can get so busy doing church stuff and religious stuff that we forget about the main mission and the purpose of the church. We forget what is important to the kingdom. We forget what's on the mind of God. We forget what the heartbeat of God is. The heartbeat of God is a lost world. That's the heartbeat of God. And yet, by statistics, there are very few people getting saved, and the churches that are growing are growing by the shifting of saints and not by the conversion of sinners. It's getting quiet. How many believe the heartbeat of God is a lost world? Then if that's God's heartbeat, why ain't we seeing the world one? Amen? The mind of God is on the harvest of souls. And if this is where God's heart and mind is at, should it not be on ours as well as his children, as his disciples, as his followers, as his people? Should our heart and mind not be on the lost world? Should that not be our emphasis? Should that not be our main priority? Should that not be our goal? Should that not be our ambition? We as a church, should we not buy into what's on the heartbeat of God? I promise you this, that if we'll get our priority right, God will anoint this place and he will turn it upside down, inside out with the conversion of sinners. Amen? That means your neighbor will be saved. That means your son will be saved. That means your daughter will be saved. It means those that are lost and dying and gonna face hell will be delivered and pulled out of the fire as a result of a church that decided to get on the main mission that Jesus, our Savior, was on. Can I have an amen? We are gonna be really focusing this five Sundays upon us, Sunday morning and Sunday night, preaching and praying about the harvest around Poplar Bluff because I'm here to tell you what we're fixing to do is start an awakening, start a revival like this church has never seen. That's the heartbeat of God. It has to start with us getting in on the heart of God. Can I have an amen? The great challenge in the midst of all the busyness of the church is the remembering its mission. Jesus paid a far too high of a cost and a price for the harvest for us to squander it and miss the opportunity to reap it. Let me say that again because the Lord gave me that and I almost skipped it. I want to say it again. Jesus said that Jesus paid a far too high of a price for the harvest for us to squander it and miss, it miss opportunities to reap it. You and I just have a short little window in which we can actually win the lost. You and I have a short little window. It's the lifespan of our life. And not only that, not only is it our small opportunity, it's the small opportunity for those that need to be saved to be saved as well because a lifetime is a lifetime. The people that are here during my lifetime cannot be won by future, future, way out, future generations are gonna be dead and gone. So if they're gonna be won, it's gonna be up to us in order to win them. And let me say this, if they're not saved, their blood will be upon our hands. Because we lived in that time and in that season in which they were born. It's your and our responsibility to win the harvest that is at hand right here and right. And Jesus said, hey, don't say four months and then cometh harvest. He said, behold, I tell you to look on the fields. They're white, they're ready for the harvest. The harvest is not the problem. There's no harvesters. Amen? If you don't believe me, go to the parable of the penny where everybody goes up to go and tr uh, to work in a field and, and he says, why are you standing here uh, idle all the day long? You're not doing anything. He said, because no one's hired us. The big problem of it is it ain't about God's heart and not wanting to put mission, missionaries out there and people out there and, and, and on their jobs and where they work and all that kind of stuff. The problem lies within the church not willing to go. Can I have an amen? We have to keep at the forefront of everything that we do that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations. That is our text. That's got to be the forefront. 
before we do anything else, we got to make sure we can come in and worship. We can come in and do our Sunday schools. We can come in and do our children's ministries. We can come in and do our, our Christian activities. We can have our fellowships. We can do all that. But at the forefront of it all, there has to be an engagement of this church out in the community of witnessing, spreading the love of Jesus Christ, telling our story, rubbing shoulders with the sinners, and letting them know the wonderful grace of God. Can I have an amen? That's our responsibility. That's our commission. That's our call. Our mission is the church of God as a denomination. I like what it says. The mission of the church of God of our denomination is to communicate the full gospel of Jesus Christ in the spirit and the power of Pentecost. And when I read that, I thought, well, let me turn this sermon a little bit because I do believe that it is our desire here at the palace to really uh, to uh, spread the gospel, uh, to communicate the full gospel of Jesus Christ to a world. But you can't do it without the spirit and the power of Pentecost. The Great Commission remains the mandate of the church. Do you not understand that? Jesus has not changed his mind. The Great Commission is not a suggestion by Jesus. It's not a request. It's not even a desire, but it's a command. Amen? We always want to keep the Ten Commandments, but we want to ignore this Great Commandment. This great commission is a command of Jesus. When Jesus commissioned us, it was him committing the harvest to us. If the harvest is gonna be lost, it's not gonna be Christ's fault. He went to the cross. He done his job. He paid the price. It's gonna be the church's fault for not relaying the message to the sinner. How many still believe, everybody says, you can't win sinners during these days. That's a lie. There's power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word of God still convicts. The word of God still convinces. We can try all this new age stuff that we want, but I want to tell you, there's nothing. You, don't, you know, we can even be sloppy in it, not even excellent in it. And I want to tell you, it may bother people, it may people mind, but even presenting the gospel sometimes in a crude way, in a, an off way, even though you think, well, that's not the best way, and I agree, but I have seen people that were horrible witnesses, but just the words they spoke had more of an effect and won more souls than the people who had it all together that never shared their faith. Amen? And one of the realities of the church world is when new converts come in and get saved, they end up for the first several months, several weeks, getting all kinds of people saved, while us who have been saved for 40 years get nobody saved. Doesn't make sense. And if those who get newly converted stay with us long enough, don't worry about it, they'll become like us. They'll lose their energy because it's not on the heart of the church anymore. It's not preached, and when you do preach it, oh, that's boring, we know all this stuff. If we know it, let's put it to practice. Can I have an amen? Oh, help me here, Lord. I'm, I'm meddling a little bit, ain't I? Woo! Praise the name of the Lord. What's that? I don't know, that used to call hogs. Woo! Amen. The Great Commission remains the mandate from Christ. Did you hear that? As I said, it's not a suggestion. It's not a request. It's not a desire. It's a command. When Jesus commissioned us, let me say it again. He committed the harvest to us. He trusted us with the harvest. It was him entrusting us with his supervisory power and authority. He is, he is entrusting us to use his name for the cause of reaching the harvest. In the name of Jesus, the power of that name the name to cast out devils, the name to heal the sick, the name to set the captive free, the name to bring deliverance. But the problem of it is, this is something I never really looked at, is that Jesus says if you use that name for any other reason than to fulfill the great commission, it has to be tied or you're using my name in vain. You're using it for your own self-interest and promotion. It don't have to be by the way of a cuss word. It's when we use it for our own self-interest and production and promotion that we are promoting the name of Jesus' heartbeat, the heart, promoting the harvest, which is Jesus' heartbeat. That you and I use the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus Christ. If you don't believe me, just sit around a bunch of guys at a table and just mention the name of Jesus and watch them. Just his name. Cussing stops. Come on. 
Tailbearing stops. Gossip stop, stops. Come on. Everybody used to say to me, said, don't all that cussing bother you at the break table? And I said, don't happen very long. Why? Because before in the conversation's over, I mentioned Jesus' name. And when I mentioned Jesus' name, boom, things stop. There's power in the name of Jesus Christ. Use it to the feathering of the gospel of the Lord. He entrusted us to operate in his anointing, his power, his authority for the sole purpose of reaching this world for him. Do we not realize that Jesus has sent us on a mission? He's called us into his service. He's placed upon us a vital ministry. Just as the United States commissions men and women to the military for the service of their country, Brother Chuck just took his grandson up there and they commissioned him. Do we not realize that God has called and commissioned every single one of us as believers in the service of the kingdom of God? You and I are commissioned by God. We are to serve his kingdom by winning the world and converting this world to the kingdom of God. Instead of us being militant and taking over other nations or lands by killing and acts of war, we are to take over the world by preaching salvation through Jesus Christ, spreading his love to a fallen race. We are, to, we, are to, we are to give hope to the hopeless, sight to the blind, healing the bruised and the afflicted and bring deliverance to the captives. We're to do this by how? By preaching the acceptable year of the Lord just like Jesus did in Luke chapter four. Because that's all the things he did and he did it by preaching, preaching, declaring, telling this story. Sometimes I want to ask the question that Jeremiah asked. One of the saddest scriptures in the word of God. Jeremiah eight twenty two, Is there no bomb in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is there no recovery for the health of my daughter of my people? He asked a serious question. To make a long story short, the scriptures before indicate, he said, has there been no harvest? What's going on here? In other words, to make this, this chapter without going through it and making it long, just to make it short, all the different spices, the roots, the oils, the fruits, the grains that Israel har harvested, those products were not only used to feed and nourish the people, but the products from a lot of those things or several of those things were used to make atonement, anointments, I mean, for natural cures. In other words, the balm that is mentioned here, of course, was a medicinal salve. It was like a salve that they rubbed on them. And the people in this scripture were wounded because of their sins and their trespasses. And symbolically, God is revealing their brokenness compared to physical maladies and sicknesses and disease and physical problems. And then he brings the bomb as a symbol of a cure to illustrate how important it is to have the bomb in the, and the right medicines during the time of affliction. And the bomb, of course, represents the anointing. So what God was saying is when you're broken and when you're sinful and when you've committed adultery and when you've committed idolatries and you're, uh, uh, you're, you're away from God, it is important that the anointing be there to break that yoke off of you. You can't break it yourself. It brings the anointing, amen? You and I are saved by the grace of God because we wouldn't even have a desire or want to be saved if it wasn't for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You know what that conviction's doing? It's telling us what we're doing's wrong. And the minute we get up and head to the cross, that conviction is already breaking the addiction and the chains of that sin off of our backs. Can I have an amen? That's how powerful the word of God is. You want to be free here today? You came for yourself. Hear the word of the Lord. Sometimes I just want to ask the question, where's the bomb in Gilead? Where's the bomb in most churches today? The people were not only wounded and backslidden, but they needed a cure. They needed help. People had sought the bomb of Gilead to help their illnesses for centuries. As a matter of fact, in Genesis 37, 25, <coughs> excuse me, in Genesis 37, 25, the caravan that Joseph was sold into was heading to Egypt carrying the bomb of Gilead. Here was him sold into slavery riding on a, a cart of the anointing. <laughs> That's a message. I'll preach that someday. Don't have time to preach on it right now. When you think you're captive and sold and injustice is taking place, don't worry about it. God will put you in a caravan on a cart carrying the anointing. Amen? God has a way. 
when there seems to be no way. He's going before you and preparing before you ever get there. And the next thing, a few years later, you remember when Joseph sent his brothers back to the homeland to get that other brother named Benjamin because, you know, Joseph had disguised himself and they didn't know who he was and he knew that Benjamin lacked behind and he went and had them to go and to get Benjamin. Well, when they go back, their father Jacob in Genesis 43 and 11 begins to say, oh man, we gotta treat this guy good. You, he, you know, he, he, we gotta take good care of him. Get all of the most costly products of the land. Carry it with you and offer it to him as a present. You know what was among them? It was the bomb of Gilead. Because that was one of the most costly, priceless things that you could have. Gilead was famous for the bomb. It was made from what we would call, the uh, best thing I could come up with, was gum sap that was, highly, that, that was dropped from the pine trees and it was highly sought after. These trees discharged what they call like a turpentine-like resin that was used in order to make this bomb or this salve. It is said that the bomb was worth twice its weight within silver. Can you imagine that? Because without it, there was no cure for the people when they got sick. There was nothing when they got infected or when something happened. And without that, they died. Jeremiah was saying, what has gone wrong with the harvest? And for what purpose has the harvest been spent? Is there no bomb in Gilead? Now, are you listening to what he's saying? If there has been a harvest, he's saying, if you truly went out and harvested the oil and the, the turpentine-like risen and the, and the different spices and the different things that make these different anointments, then why is the daughter of my people not healed? If you've harvested them, what have you done with the harvest? Now listen, because that's gonna hit home to us here in a minute. He says, for what has the harvest been spent on? Now that's an aged old question. We are in scripture. You and I are compared to what? as trees of righteousness, are we not? Now hang with me because I'm building a sermon. God's people Israel has been also not only called trees of righteousness, but they've been referred to and even, and even represent sometimes the olive tree along with the Holy Spirit in scripture. The olive tree in scripture is symbolic of the anointing. So the Bible tells us that not only is the olive tree symbol of the Holy Spirit, but it's a symbol of Israel in the Old Testament. So that is to say that God's people is to be anointed by the Holy Spirit. Are you listening? The olive tree can live up to, a thousand, up to thousands and thousands of years and produce fruit all the way up to the very day of its death. It dies producing fruit. Can you imagine that? How can, that's the only tree that does that. How can it be dying and yet still producing fruit? If it's dying, how is it getting the nourishment and the different things to put on the fruit? I don't understand that. That's a mystery. But the olive tree is one of those trees that can do that. And let me tell you, those of you that are old, you may be getting eyes dim and your walk may not be straight and you may have a lot of age upon you, but I'm here to tell you, you're still producing fruit. We are to produce fruit as Christians until the day that we die. Amen? The olive tree is called the eternal tree. The sign that there was life to Noah was what? When Noah let out the dove, what did it do? It went out and searched all the earth, and when it did come back with a sign of life, it brought back a green branch of an olive tree. What was that to say? That was to symbolically say that the only thing that can preserve life is the Holy Spirit, is the anointing. Anything outside of that cannot bring up. The only thing that brought forth life after all the destruction of the flood was the anointing. It, it regenerated the earth. Can I have an amen? There's only one thing that's gonna bring results to this congregation. It is the anointing of the righteous and it is the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon God's people. It's by the Holy Spirit. We cannot do it in our own selves. Quit trying. There would, be a, there would be no life restored without first that olive branch, the anointing oil, the bomb, it had to be in place. There's not gonna be any results in what we do if we don't have that anointing in its proper place. In their tabernacle, there was a lampstand. Everybody knew it. It was in a bowl. The bowl was there and upon top of this lampstand stood 
a candlestick with seven flames. It burned 24-7, did it not? Now, you, in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, let's do it again. You have a, a lampstand. That lampstand set in a bowl. Upon the bowl and the lampstand stood a candlestick with seven candles upon it, seven flames. And you remember the vision that God gave Zechariah in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 11 through 14, that he did not understand. Listen to it. Then answered I and said unto him, this is Zechariah answering to the spirit, what are these two olive, or this angel that appeared before him, what are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof? Now, he's questioning something here. He's saying, I kind of understand what the bow's about. I kind of understand what the lamp, the, the lamp stands about. I understand what the candle represents. But what are these olive trees, one on the right side and one on the left side, standing by this, these lamp and this candlestick? And then answered I again, said I unto him, what be these two olive branches, which through the two golden pipes emptied the golden oil out of themselves? Now he's saying, not only have my focus is upon the trees, but my focus is upon these branches. What are these branches from these trees, and what are these golden pipes that are connected to the branches? And then he answered me, and he said, Knowest thou not what these be? And he said, No, my Lord. And then he said, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of, all, of the whole earth. Now, if you'll have to read on and understand the whole thing, but I'll, I'll just clarify it for you. First of all, he began to understand. Uh-oh, I know what he's saying now. In the center of this vision stood a lampstand with a bow, and there were seven candlesticks attached to this lampstand. On each side of this lampstand were these two olive trees, amen? And from these two olive trees are extended the olive branches, which are somehow connected to these what they call golden pipes. And these golden pipes ran from the branches down into the basin, down in the bow that the lampstand set in. And these golden pipes provided oil as fuel for the fire of the seven candlesticks that serve as lamps. The fuel was the olive oil that was coming from those branches. Are you listening? Has everybody got a visual picture of that? Zechariah gets understanding from God what all of this meant. The two olive trees is God's two anointed ones, which we'll tell you who they are in a moment. But the lampstand symbolizes Israel. It's what upholds the candlestick. It is the foundation or the structure of the candlestick itself. This candlestick in scripture represents the church, not only the Old Testament, but the New Testament. So the lampstand, Israel, upholds or is the foundation for the candlestick, the church. Is that not where the church come out of? Hello? How many knows we, the church, have come out of Israel? Hello? And that's what he's showing them here. And then what is the church symbolized of? Hello? The seven candles that burn. What are we as a church? We are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill that cannot be hit. We are to be the burning witness of Jesus Christ. Are you ready? The oil symbolizes the spirit or the Holy Ghost. This tells us that we cannot witness to the life of God by ourselves. We need the energy and the life of the Holy Spirit in us to give forth a witness to the watching world of the reality of who God is. That's why Acts 1 and 8, Jesus said, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That the whole reason that God gives the Holy Spirit to the church is not so that we can speak in tongues and dance and shout and fall out and have great Pentecostal services. The reason that God gives the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for the power of service to when we have power to witness. And yet they're telling us by statistics that winning the harvest is the least that we do with our so-called baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
A lot of people are not being filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit because they're wanting it for the sake of, I can speak in tongues, I can do this, and I can, that's the wrong reason. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, get engaged in the harvest, desire the harvest, seek the harvest, seek for the Holy Spirit, and God will fill you to reap that harvest. That's what the Holy Spirit's all about. Not that the other things are not important. But notice that the branches of the trees are considered God's fuel or God's oil or God's anointed. Didn't Jesus say what? I am the vine, you're the what? Woo! I've got an olive tree sitting here, but I got all these branches and I represent that branch. And out of me, the branch, flows oil, flows fuel. Hello? Flows power, energy. <laughs> this tells us that it is through the branches, God's anointed, that his oil, his Holy Spirit, flows to feed the what? Candlestick. This tells us that God needs vessels through which he can feed his oil of his spirit into the church. Oh, we got it all backwards, don't we? Our problem is we think that the, that the church is designed to feed us, but in reality, we are designed to feed the church. Did you hear that? In this particular vision of Zechariah, the two anointed ones are Joshua and Zerubbabel. They stand by the Lord of all the earth. We know that in the passage. It is their standing by God in faithfulness that makes them these spiritual leaders. And when there is no yielded vessels, there's no oil, there's no light, there's no fuel, there's no energy, there's no passion. When there's no anointed leadership, no anointed ministries, no anointed man and woman of God, the oil in the heart of the church dries up and the light of God goes out in the life of the church. And when the life of the life of the light goes out in the church, the mission is aborted, the vision is lost, and its purpose is forfeited for something else. So this tells me that in many churches across America, the life of the light of the church has went out because all of their focus is on something else. The main mission's been aborted. The main vision has been cast off. And people are doing their own things and quote, quote, having church while the little harvest dies and rots on the vine. That there's very little activity outside of the church winning the loss. So what has happened? The church has aborted its mission and the reason is it has lost its relationship to the Holy Spirit. It ought to convict us if we're not witnessing right now. It ought to convict us because if we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, we would be sensitive to the harvest. Amen? Help me, Lord. The mission's boarded, lost. I don't want to stand before the Lord and said, more people went to hell on your watch than any other watch in history. He lost it. While the harvest was ripe, you walked by ripe plants, but you never took the time to nurture them, water them, and bring them into maturity to be harvested. God help us. Notice also that God brings his anointing through others. His anointing to us flows through human vessels into our lives, filling us up and strengthening us that we might share forth as a witness. That's why Jesus put them together in pairs. If one can put a thousand to flight, two can put two thousand, we feed each other. Iron sharpens iron. It's important that you get connected with believers. Are you listening to me? It's vitally important. Notice, you know, this business of going out here independently, my ministry is to do this by myself. No, it's not. You're a part of the body of Christ and you need others with you, not only as an accountability, as, a, 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 as strength, but you need them to protect you. Amen? Notice the only job of the church in this vision was just to burn as a witness upon seven candlesticks to give light unto all them that was around Seven represents completion. This represents us completing our task, finishing our race, fulfilling our mission, being fruitful to the day that we die. We keep burning until the vision's fulfilled. We keep burning until the purpose is, is finished. 
Seven also represents the seven spirits of God that was talked about in Scripture that I don't have time to go into today. But Zerubbabel had it right when he said in Zechariah 4 and 6, he said, it's not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And he understood, Zerubbabel and Joshua understood that the vision that God unfolded before Zechariah had to be accomplished only by the Holy Spirit. And I'm here to tell you that any kind of efforts that we put forth out of this congregation by the challenge behind this pulpit in the next five Sundays, if it's not bathed in prayer and if it does not have the Holy Spirit sanctioned upon it and if we're not sensitive and yielded to the Holy Spirit, we're wasting our time. It has to be helped by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Don't just start running out here and start witnessing. Prepare yourself. Pray. Ask the Lord to come in. Ask the Lord to give you guidance. Do a little study. Do a little prayer time. Do a little relational time with the Lord. Get God's anointing upon you and go out and begin to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Before we ever consider witnessing, reaching the lost, ministering to the sinner, we must seek the Holy Spirit. We have to be spirit-led, spirit-burdened, spirit-broken, spirit-empowered. Amen? We will be nothing but a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal if we try to do it within ourselves. The real question I have is, are we going to be trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, planted by the rivers of living water? Are we going to be that eternal tree, that olive tree yielding her fruit for thousands of years to come though our influence is still upon the earth? Then I have to ask the question one more time. Is there no bomb in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of my daughter and my people not been restored? Why have they not been saved? He's saying, has there not been a harvest? And if there has, then for what has that harvest been spent on? And I'm going to bring it home and I'm going to close. Let me ask you a question. What is your life spent on? What is your main passion? What is on your mind? What is the driving force of your life? What is your burden? What is your priority? How many times are you witnessing compared to all the other stuff that you do? How much time and energy, how much prayer, how much uh, witnessing do you actually do in your life? What is your goal, your ambition, your purpose? What do we spend most of our time and energy on? What do we spend most of our resources on? Because the truth of it, we are the harvested. We have been saved. And out of us is to become the bomb. Do we not understand that? Out of the harvest produces the bomb. And this is what Jeremiah was asking, said, if you've harvested all this stuff and you've went and you've got the turpentine risen and you've went and you've got the, the sap and you've went and you've got these spice, then why is the people not healed? You've harvested. The bomb is made out of the harvest, the redeemed, the Christians, the, the one that's become believers in Christ. Romans chapter 10 verse 14 says, how then shall they call on him whom they have not believed and how shall they believe on him they've not heard and how shall they hear without someone telling them or preaching to them? It's our job. Brother Gary, stand up. You're going to be Joe today. Joe's a sinner here. I'm a believer. This is what we're to do. First of all, I am to come out of this approaching him in a relationship with Christ. Having prayer in my life, being sincere, wanting to win him for the Lord. And then my first approach as a pastor would probably be, hey, Joe, good to see you. How you doing? How's your family? How's that little girl of yours? Man, she's mean, but how is she? Is that boy doing good in college? Is he? Man, he's doing great, isn't he? I hear that, man. Well, it's good to see you. You and Donna come and see us sometime, man. We'd be glad to have you. What am I doing? All I'm doing right now is taking a little bit of bomb. Why? He's bruised. He's in captivity. He's in bondage. He's a sinner. Come on. He's dead. He's a walking dead man. He's on his way to hell. He's going to burn in eternity if something don't do somebody don't do something. Not only is he, but probably his wife and his children and everything, because he's the leader of the home. And usually when men are lost, the family's lost. Here he is. And I'll probably walk away. Then I'll start bathing him in prayer. God, give me a chance. God, give me the right words to say. God, lead me in winning this man. God, and when I see him the next time, hey, good to see you again, Joe. How you doing? Man, you and Donna doing all right? 
You still putting up with that lady? I wouldn't say that. But I'd be loving on him and caring for him, and I'd do that a numerous amount of times, but then there would come a time. I said, Joe, can I talk to you? While he's sitting at my table eating chili, and we get up off the table and say, hey, let's go out here and look at my, my bird dog. We walk outside and say, Joe, I want to talk to you. Man, I, I've come to love you and your family. Y'all are so valuable. You're so important. Such gifted people. And, you know, I'm a pastor, and I want you to not only be a, involved in the church, but I want you to know Jesus Christ as your Lord. Can I tell you about salvation? I'm going to start talking to him about salvation. I'm going to start loving on him, rubbing that oil all over him. It looks sick, don't it? But that's what I'm doing. I got bomb on me. I'm bomb. I'm healing. I'm hope. I'm health. I'm life, whether he knows it or not. And he may resist. Start resisting a little bit. Start walking away. And I'm going to... He ain't running with me. And he's going to deny me a few times. Just go sit back down for a minute. That's okay. He denied me. My feelings is not hurt. It's not about me getting all upset and all rejected and taking it. He's a sinner. He is going to reject me a few times. And the next time I see him, I'm not going to try to cram the gospel back down his throat. I'm going to love him. Hey, Gary, how you doing? Gary, Joe, come here. How you doing, Joe? (laughs) And you know what? Before long, that bomb's going to take an effect. That bomb's going to start getting in him. And before long, me and him's going to go to an altar and Joe's going to get saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Joe. We as believers, the anointed, the palm of Gilead, we've been harvested. We have in us now the elements to bring healing to somebody else. We're light, we're hope, we're inspiration. Hello. Whether they show it or not, they want what you got to offer. When I worked at Gates Rubber Company, I worked around what they called a vulcanizer. This vulcanizer was a big like train uh, with these mandrels on them that shaped hoses. And one side would come out and you would pull the hoses off. They were heated in this big chamber. And you'd pull them off and you had these hoses shaped by the result of heat on those mandrels. They'd throw them to, in these bins and then they would slide on this raw material. They'd oil them down, slide on this raw material. The oil's got to get there before anything else, the oil. And they'd throw it on there and then they'd put it in the vulcanizer. And these guys were rough guys. My job was supply the cutters that, that um, gave them the material for the mandrels. It was my job to supply the material to these cutters. Now I'm on a forklift. I built relationships with these guys. And when they were together, they were sometimes pretty mean and cruel. You know, they'd say things and just, hey, preacher, and they'd show me b- ugly stuff. It wasn't nothing for them to try to make me feel uncomfortable or embarrass me. I just... I'd be driving down there on the forklift. Hey, preacher, and I'd look around. They'd have a centerfold of a naked woman. I'd just turn my head. And I'd just laugh and carry on. And I'd just go by and I'd just go by and just. They expected me to be mad. I just kept rubbing love on them. I just kept putting in the bomb. And they would get, get frigidy, man. They'd, I'd go right up in the midst of all of them, just start loving on them, putting my arms around them. I said, well, these days you heathens are going to get saved. I make it in the form of a joke. I'd say, some of these days, you're going to have the conviction of the Holy Ghost fall upon you, and I'm going to be sitting in the corner laughing when it does. That's the kind of stuff I'd say to them. And this went on and on, and finally, one by one, hey, can I talk to you privately? Man, me and my wife are having a hard time. Hey, Grandpa's sick. Could you pray for different people, one by one? Out of that group, I personally, out of that small group, Within a matter of a few months, won 20 people to the Lord Jesus Christ and their families by just loving them, giving them the bomb of Gilead. (laughs) 
that old cantankerous neighbor that you can't get along with? Love him. And when he's mean, don't be mean back. Just go over there and smile and just start rubbing in the oil. Start rubbing in the oil. Start rubbing in the oil. There was an old man that the Lord put on my heart in my hometown. My pastor preached a series on evangelism and winning souls, and he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to think of the meanest person that you know, and I want you to make that person your, uh, your, your life passion to win to the Lord. And the first person I thought of was a man by the name of Bill York who was married to one of the women in our church who was a saint. I was driving on my motorcycle on an old gravel road and he didn't like you to drive down his road. He ran me plumb off in the ditch, tried to, tried to run over me. He'd cuss you and throw things at you when you went by me. He was a, he was a mean man. No one could get along with him. He was a mean man. And so I thought, okay, Lord, you know what you're doing? And I got to praying over this man and I was scared and I was young. I'm in my 20s. I'm married to Jenny at the time. I don't know if Benjamin was around at that time or not, but that's, that was what was placed upon my heart. And I just started praying. I said, oh, God, you, you, got, you got to know what, what you're doing. And I had a, to help finances. I had a trash route. After I got work, off of work at Gates, me and another guy, he was a, in his 50s, 40s, 50s, and he was, I thought he was in his 80s back in those days because, you know, a child's, a young man's, he looked older than what he was. He was uneducated, couldn't read or write, very dirty man, worked in a junkyard. And me and him formed this trash route, and we done it together. And his wife named Joan, a big, heavy-set lady, very unkept, unclean, she would go along with us. And it would be me driving, Joan in the middle, and Henry on the, this side of the truck. And we would go by that old man's house. And one day he waved me over there. And I thought, Lord, what? you're giving me an opportunity. I'm scared. I walk up on the front porch and he starts kidding me about me and Joan going out. Me and the trash lady, he called her. You and the trash lady going there. You got a thing going there, kid? <laughs> just rubbing it in. And through humor and just putting the bomb on him, I've developed a relationship with that man. Days I'd go down there and sit on that front porch with him. We'd laugh and we'd carry on. His cussing started out horrible, got less and less until the point that he wouldn't even say a curse word around me anymore. I earned his respect. This is months going through this. Little by little, week by week, month by month, a year came around and so on. His health falls and he goes to a nursing home. I started to go see him and he died. And one of the members of the church told me that he had died and I said, oh no, I didn't get to see him. He said, well don't worry about it because Sister York said so and so prayed him through to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He actually come to church there for a while. But before he died, and before he ever made a commitment to the Lord, if I, got, if I can my remembrance is correct, he knew he was in bad, getting in bad hell. He started giving me everything he had. Hey, you like to fish? Here's a big dip net. Here, you like to fish? Here's, a, here's an old fly rod. It's worth a lot of money. Here, here's my tackle box. He, he, wanted, he was just giving me stuff constantly. A mean man turned and melted like butter because of the bomb because of the oil, because of a relationship. Would you stand with me, please? Our job is simply be yielded and pliable in the hands of the Holy Spirit. Our job is simply relax and don't look at defeats, denials, rejections as the final outcome because they're not going to be. I'm here to tell you, I believe in household salvation. I believe that without a doubt, when I, and I, I, want, I want to spiritualize this a little bit. 
if old Bill Marvin, if he just keeps loving his children and teaching his children and, and just keeps pouring it on them and, and doing everything he knows to do, I believe through the power of that bomb that he may not be the one that reaps them, someone to reap them for the kingdom of God and they'll be saved. I believe that. You keep praying over them. Amen? So if y'all are a part of the family at the palace of praise, I believe for household salvation for this house. Would you do me a favor this morning? I know it's a holiday weekend, but would you right now, right where you're sitting, make a commitment to start making the harvest your priority and a relationship to the Holy Spirit and say, God, help me. Would you do that with me right now? Jerry, come here for a minute. I want you to pray over this congregation. I just feel like the Lord's going to give you a prayer of evangelism over the heart of this church. Would you pray for me? Father, you showed me as we were sitting over there that whatever's been spoken over this church in a negative, cursing kind of way where people have tried to smother your word. You've said it's broken. We release that. In our brokenness, Lord, we know that you have broken that which holds us down. And right now, I see, Lord, a flow. I see a movement. I see you shaking things loose. <laughs> Lord, from the north and the south and the east and the west. <laughs> I say, come home. <laughs> come home. every person standing here today, Lord. Not one be left untouched by your power, Lord. Right now, you're rubbing up against them, Lord. <laughs> you're walking up and down the aisles of this church. You're releasing your power, Lord. You're releasing your anointing, Lord. Oh, God. Thank you for that today. Can you just lift your hands with me right now and say, Lord, thank you for that today. Thank you for that today, Lord. 
it's not what it's not you it's what he pours through you that makes the difference it's not anything we're just vessels we're just his vessels lord we just release we release ourselves to you to be vessels of honor we release ourselves to you to be vessels fit for use of the master and we pray just like you did in the old testament lord when they got out and they start pouring oil in those containers it just kept coming the more containers they brought the more oil they had do you, do you sense what I'm feeling right now in my spirit? Do you, do you, if you do, say amen. If you do, clap your hands. If you do, lift your voices and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you. And this month you'll be hearing a lot more from not only me but from our staff we're breaking it up to where you got different viewpoints of the harvest we have great soul winners on our heart our staff and they've had a lot of experiences and i'm sure they're going to be telling you some of them have your own experience in jesus name enjoy your holiday and may the lord bless you shine upon you and prosper you in christ's name amen you can be